Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast wherein four academics who love television recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. We are headed into season three of our uh, working our way through Degrassi, the next generation, usually taking two episodes at a time. We're doing a few on their own this season. Uh, and today we are covering uh, episodes 301 and 302. Uh, it's a two-parter called Father Figure. Uh, so before we start, two things. Spoiler alert, there will be full spoilers as we recap each week's episodes. And sailor alert, we will swear. So, you know, if you have a delicate sensibility, maybe we're not for you. Uh, I'm Tiffany Salter. I'm a professor of Asian American and Pacific literature and now also film studies, um, who loves and teaches classes on sci-fi, cartoons, etc., other nerdy things. I'm Jacinta. I'm an assistant professor of English. I study television, film, and pop culture, teach classes related to those things, as well as uh, writing, literature, and digital media. I'm Sana Gabbard. I'm in the Department of Women's and Gender Studies at DePaul University. I teach classes really all along the spectrum of feminist studies, but my area of focus is on transnational and global queer and sexuality studies. And I'm really excited to talk about Degrassi. I'm Brendan. I'm a professor of English in the Humanities Department at Central State University. I teach and study African-American literature and pop culture. And I'm going to be recapping the two episodes we're talking about today. Uh, just as a note, this the second episode here does deal with violence. There's a violence scene in it, specifically around Spike uh, and her pregnancy. So just as a heads up for anyone, um, whether you're watching or listening. So these two episodes, um, as you said, are the beginning of season three. So a lot of the very beginning of the first episode is really just like reminding you, checking in with everyone, uh, reminding you of everyone. Um, so a lot of the first episode is just at the very beginning, is just a batch of seeing everyone back in school. It's the first day of school. We kind of get reacquainted with everyone, um, but we kind of quickly understand that the focus of this episode is Emma's relationship with uh, Snake and Spike, um, because Spike is close to having her baby, which is going to be an at-home birth, um, and Emma is dealing with that. And on her first day of classes in um, grade nine, um, she gets called Emma Simpson, um, which is uh, Snake's last name. And so this sort of sets off a sort of feeling like she's being pushed out or sort of doesn't have a place or still dealing with what it means to have Mr. Simpson living with her, asserting himself as sort of a parental figure. And that's sort of the sort of A plot for this story is that Emma starts to try to figure out where her birth father is, her bio dad. She looks at him in a yearbook and she sort of wants to know where he is. She does some searching online. She can't find him. She has a very distinct memory uh, that we see in the first episode of being a little kid and seeing her dad as a doctor. And so she's looking for her dad, Shane, online in very rudimentary Google, or not Google, but uh, the Canada People Finder. And so she ends up getting Craig to go with her on sort of a little journey to another town uh, where she has found Shane. And the episode ends with her sort of going into his room and what she comes to understand is a center for people that have sort of, I assume, developmental disabilities. They're never quite explained. Um, but the sort of quote unquote secret that she uncovers in the second episode is that her father, when they were teenagers, when her father and Spike and Snake were all teenagers, he got high on acid, was in an accident, had a traumatic brain injury, and has sort of behavioral um, and mental delays and issues as a result of that. So Emma meets him. He sort of doesn't quite understand who she is, but then comes to understand it. And then she goes home and she perceives something that's being hidden from her and sort of confronts her mother, doesn't really give her mother a chance to explain 
so then later at school, Snake explains to her what happened, that, you know, they were all 16, that his parents, Shane's parents, made this decision for him to live in this sort of center. And she feels, I think, somewhat chastened and wants to reach out to her mother, on knowing that her birth father has left the facility he lives in. He comes to uh, the house where Emma and her family live, confronts Spike, uh, becomes violent, feels like things are being hidden from him. He sort of has a violent episode. He knocks over a bunch of photos. He sort of goes after, he goes after Spike. Um, and ultimately the scene sort of ends with Emma showing up, calming him down, calming the situation down. And this, of course, because of drama, uh, Spike goes into labor. She ultimately has a successful home birth. Emma is able to calm down her bio dad. Um, Snake and Spike and Emma sort of deal with the new baby. And the episode ends first with Emma sort of saying goodbye to Shane. He's getting picked up and taken back to the facility he lives in. And then taking a picture with the um, Spike Snake and the new baby Jack. Um, And there's sort of a family thing that we can talk about. So that's the A plot. The B plot is, I would say, much lighter. Uh, I mean, there's still some interesting stuff going on, but it's all about lockers and also the relationship between Spinner and Paige. So last season, we talked a lot about this scene uh, in one of the Paige episodes where Spinner asks her to the dance. And at that point, we said, didn't really seem like they were dating. Well, now at the beginning of this season, they are dating. And when lockers are assigned for the grade 10s, Paige gets a locker she doesn't like. And so Spinner goes out of his way through a series of different wranglings to try to get her a good locker, leading to Jimmy having the the best locker, which he tries to get from Jimmy. Jimmy makes him tell everyone that he is spineless, um, that he doesn't have a backbone. And when he does... Paige feels like she's being put into this position of being a nag. She confronts Spinner. The two of them talk it out and come to understand that Spinner feels like he's a loser. He's not good enough for Paige. And Paige says he is. And it sort of ends with a happy reconciliation. So that was kind of all over the place. Also around all of this, it's just these sort of random seeds of what other characters will deal with this season, which I'm sure we'll talk about in later episodes. But those are the sort of two plots. I love everything that you just said, but can we start with the new credits sequence? Um, because, yes! because it doesn't like really, is it really tie in, but. Um, it's my favorite. It's my favorite out of all the credit sequences that you all will see. Yeah, I agree. Like in my brain, when I think somebody's like, what does the sequence look like? That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Season mm-hmm. three through like season five. Like that's mm-hmm. It's like, well, I mean, just to like go through, it's like super frenetic. Like we see Ellie with a video cam and then it sort of cuts to basically we're to understand like what she is recording. And so she's going from character to character and we've got this serial killer type handwritten scrawl like for each of the the actors names like it's like handwritten like scribbled like multiple times but yeah I mean like you know it's a very fast paced it's a little hard to sort of like you know I don't know I like it stylistically it's I feel a little bit impractical because I think it's just a little too fast to catch everyone's names well, there's more people, right? So that's yeah. part of it is it's going so fast that sometimes two to three names are on the screen at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's also, yes, a much worse font. <laughs> there, are, there are at least a few, there are like some new characters this season who aren't around very long, but then there are some new ones this season that stick around for several more seasons. Yeah, and it's kind of a teaser because you see them in the opening credits and they picture or just their image and you'll get their names later on this season. Yeah, there's some people that are in the backgrounds of episodes that aren't going to be introduced till later. And Caitlin is in the credits, which yeah. is when I knew she was going to be important because the adults are always on a lag with when they show up in the credits. Yeah. 
And Radich. Like, who who knew he was going to get a credit? <laughs> well, Radich was in the credits before. Oh, he was? Okay, never mind. At least he was in season two. Yeah, he was because he. it's him and who is he stopping? Is it uh, Sean? Yeah. I think it's Sean and they were paired together. He stopped Sean at the end of the old credits. And then um, he, uh, yeah, so Caitlin's in there and I mean, and part of that is just because, you know, we are getting this throwback to the past with Caitlin and Joey talking, um, being part of the connection to the story with Emma too, right? Emma tries to get the backstory out of Caitlin and Caitlin doesn't give it up because Spike doesn't want to talk about it. And then Joey ends up being the one that has to pick up Emma and Craig later on from their little adventure across Canada. Um, so he gets connected to it too. Well, and also like, I think that, I mean, I think that we're being pretty transparently set up to understand that whatever this new relationship between this person, Sydney, who is not in the credits and Joey, um, like who, like Joey is dating this person, Sydney, and uh, she and, and Caitlin have this little encounter at the baby shower where Caitlin's like, oh, hi, I'm, you know, uh, Joey's on again, off again. Not in those words in particular, but now I've moved back and we'll see what happens. And then like, she finds out that like, this is Joey's girlfriend. So my notes literally say, Caitlin, read the room. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's classic Caitlin though. I feel like this is high key her energy. Yeah, I skipped the baby shower partially because it really, besides that little moment, like nothing narratively happens there. Right, right. right. But it seems like it will be important because it happens on also the first day of classes, which is entirely impractical yep. because it's like high school. So the first day of classes is on probably a Monday or a Tuesday, but they're having a baby shower, but it like happens really fast. Maybe they do things differently in Canada. Uh, I mean, they do say grade eight, grade nines and grade tens, so which always weirds me out and confuses me. That is one of the things that I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I put it in my notes. Like so much of the beginning of the first episode is high key first child problems, right? Like Emma's moved to the basement. Which is leaking. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Under leaking. Her chips. I have Snake is redoing her bedroom, but nobody decided to like make it comfortable for Emma like it's like a mattress on the floor in the basement yeah she's like having to go to the baby shower she's already having anxiety about being not snake's child all of that so of course Spike would have her baby shower on Emma's first day of high school right <laughs> it also just really feels like like obviously we know that however many months have passed since the wedding but it really just feels like Snake and Emma have not really fostered the kind of relationship where he can be like telling her what to do. <laughs> For real. But does Spike have that relationship with Emma? I mean, does anyone tell Emma no? Well, but also like, it seems like a big claim to say, oh, the new admin in the office knows that you're my daughter. Like, I mean, like clearly like, Snake and Emma had not had this conversation about like using that terminology because that is a big surprise to Emma. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is another one of those episodes where whether or not we like Emma, what she's doing, Emma is given adult people situations and supposed to just deal like it's right. very late in the second episode that people yeah. are like, huh, maybe we shouldn't have kept. I mean, it's interesting too, right? Because the the secret or surprise in this episode, right, is one that if you watch, like I didn't watch the original Degrassi, but it is there. Like I went and looked, mm -hmm. right. So this wouldn't be a surprise, but it's a lot for her to process. Mm -hmm. I did think that Emma and Spike and Snake and Shane, all the acting was really good. Like I didn't always mm -hmm. like the situations, but I felt mm -hmm. like. Emma is becoming a better actress and also the chemistry between Spike and Snake seems becoming more solid to me. Like at the end of the episode, mm -hmm. I believed the scene where he comes in and he's super excited and they have the quick, like a TV pregnancy where it's like the quickest birth ever, right? It's about mm -hmm. 20 minutes of labor. Quickest and cleanest. The yeah. cleanest birth ever too. Yeah, it is a very wow. clean. Also, 
I mean, like, realistically, though, this is a why... It's not even just that Spike kept the secret, though. It's She kept the secret and also let Emma believe that her dad was a doctor who abandoned her, yeah. right? So it's not like she just kept the fact that he had this traumatic brain injury and was thus institutionalized from her. It's also this whole other fictional situation which leads to particular feelings from Emma. And all of this, I mean, I mean, I said it, we've said it before in previous episodes, like points to how young Spike was when Emma was born and how young she still is too. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, it was, it was doomed. It was a doomed situation. And, and also like, I think the time, you know, it it may be that you want to wait until your child is older to share something this sort of monumental. Like this is a this is a big piece of news about your child's life. But like the moment that they start asking about it and also mm-hmm. having problems with your mm-hmm. current partner kind of stepping into the role that father figure role, like like that's when you tell that's when you tell her. You know that's. Mm-hmm. It's just like Spike's reactions to Emma sort of like, you know, having an attitude about the whole situation. Like that's an, a sign that like maybe you need to get to the root of it and maybe share some information. And I know that it's bad timing, but like, I don't know. I, I feel like the whole situation could have gone a lot smoother if, if, mm-hmm. if Snake had been or Spike had been sensitive to Emma's needs in, in, in the moment. It doesn't seem like Emma and Snake have had enough conversations about his role in her life, but he does mm-hmm. seem more mature about things in the second episode because he's the one who explains things to Emma. He's like, yeah. you need to know this. And he has gotten over the whole baby thing, right? He's clearly like the good dad for this baby and the sort of absent-minded professor way, which I did appreciate. I do think this, the episodes want us to think that some of this is like, Spike is pregnant. I think there's supposed to be a suggestion in the first episode that like her nerves are fried because she's very pregnant. Like I got that vibe, the sort of Mm -hmm. like TV movie, like pregnant ladies, they can't do anything right. And there's this like, (laughs) she's been running drills on that, which I feel like this is bizarre. Yes. It's intense. But there's also that part, like in the first episode, I think, you know, Snake does, when Emma does ask about it, Snake tells Spike that she needs to tell mm-hmm. Emma the truth. And, of course, Spike chooses not to, which is how we get to the drama. But yeah, <laughs> he does tell her that she should tell Emma the truth. Yeah, and she, she recognizes it, too. I mean, Spike does say, I don't know how. Like, she says it's going, I forget if she says it's going to be hard or I don't know how, but it's something like she's... For some reason, the fact that Emma's dad has a cognitive disability is so impossible to tell Emma, like, which, you know, I think at some point we do need to start unpacking the ableism in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I was, I I knew going in that I remembered how he reacted when she left at at the facility, but I didn't remember all the rest of the details. And it... Yeah, it's heavy-handed, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's and also I remember so as we started prepping as I started prepping for this, I realized that I have seen episode 301 in particular, I think seven times. Like I was like, <laughs> I have seen this episode so many times. And in fact, this was the first Degrassi episode I ever saw, full stop. Mm. It was on oh, TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I was like, that's why I thought Paige and Spinner were together this whole time mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they were in this episode. So anyway, um, so this was my first intro. And I remember thinking like, that's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. We'll just go with it. But yeah, you know, in terms of representation and like when things were happening at that time, there weren't very many represent, like, especially on YA, not a lot of representation of people with disabilities writ large, but especially not people with cognitive disabilities, which is a relatively new-ish trend in television in particular. So thinking about that and also thinking about how even disability studies as a field has not spent a lot of time unpacking and theorizing invisible disabilities and in particular cognitive disabilities, I was kind of coming into this episode, um, I guess not as 
I, I was still critical, but also thinking about like, wow, what does it mean for Emma, who's a main character, to have someone in her life that she's going to interact with, uh, presumably more, hopefully, who also has cognitive disabilities? And then what does it say about how the show views um, compulsory able-mindedness, right? This idea that you're, you're, everyone's expected to have a certain level of cognition when they portray him as a violent character, right? So all of this is like, I don't know, it's very messy and I want to talk about it. So what do y'all think? I mean, confused too, I think. So yeah. earlier when I said the act, I thought the acting was really good. Like I want to be clear. I don't know that I necessarily always like what they're having everyone do, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah, I do right. think that all four of the main players here, Spike, Snake, Shane, and Emma are acting really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, what is it, Jonathan Torin, who plays Shane in this, who's not the guy who played him in the original show. I think he does a really good job with what he is given. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a way in which when he's violent, I think that the show wants it to be about a confusion that he has about his life and his feeling that in some ways mirrors Emma's, that some things have been kept from him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that once you start having him knock things over, I had a physical reaction of discomfort. Mm -hmm. And then of yeah. course you have a pregnant woman, which is mm -hmm. like tailor made for a television uncut discomfort. Mm -hmm. Discomfort and alarm, right? Yeah. Because we're also yeah. supposed to want to protect her more than anybody yeah. else. And right. because, you know, if you've watched enough television drama and things, you've seen any number of miscarriages. Oh, yeah, occur. I was expecting it. Yeah. So, like, and the other thing to what you were saying about, like, Emma and Shane connecting, you know, the first moment that they really connect is when he starts talking about his daughter, Emma, before he knows that she's Emma, and he says, you know, she doesn't love me, and that gives Emma pause, like, wait a minute, uh, what, what, why do you think that? And that's how they start to connect, because, you know... She's got this feeling of abandonment, but he also has a feeling of abandonment. Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion and a lot of, in that moment of violence, the anger is a result of like, like we said, Spike having had to make choices at a young age, Shane mm -hmm. being put into situations at a young age, all of them making bad choices, but narratively we still have a violent man and a pregnant woman. And so it's hard to like tease those apart when you have 20 minutes and only half the mm -hmm. episode is about this storyline. Um, <laughs> but lockers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, there are little like gray notes here. I think the, mm -hmm. the knitting thing is very interesting. Yeah. I think yeah. it ends up feeling a little patronizing, but I think it's also very sweet that we have the sort of connection. So I didn't include this in the uh, recap, but we have early in the first episode, the fact that Snake has taken up knitting. Spike has taken up knitting, rather. Spike has taken up knitting and she's trying to knit something as a sort of way to deal with her incoming pregnancy. And then when we meet Shane, we come to understand in the second episode, after he's sort of upset that Emma has to leave, that knitting is sort of a self-soothing practice that um, he has sort of adopted. And so in the second episode, part of how Emma intervenes is to have him knit and he ultimately finishes a hat that and fixes. Uh, and fixes a hat that Spike was making. And so I thought that those details are really thoughtful. Like those are the parts where I'm like, someone was talked to about, like someone talked to someone about sort of ways, therapies. And, but as so often the case of Degrassi, that sort of knowledge also met in, a like, we have to have a storyline that is compelling. And that's often when disabilities in general become narrative plot lines instead of like, right. death. I mean, cause he also notes that like, Spike is not good at knitting. So, right, right. <laughs> which I think is fun. Um, mm -hmm. But speaking of that, all that sort of drama aspect of this, can we talk about how Shane got there to begin yeah. with? Because I, I I don't know what the show wants me to believe here. Does it really want me to believe that this man, armed only with Emma's address 
and ostensibly probably no money got a train or a taxi to her house he lives in a different town so he An got there away. on his own and there was no off-brand not dave matthews band playing during the montage because when craig and emma are going there <laughs> there's this like long series of montage where they're like walking around and they're on a train and then they're and like, like making take, friends taking selfies taking pictures with the conductor or something like what is happening <laughs> but it does you're right it tells us the whole process to get there and a process okay. that would presumably be really difficult if the way the show frames his disability, he has trouble dealing with these sort of small tasks and is easily upset when things don't work out right. And he needs routine, right? Yeah. Like so much emphasis on the routine. Also, yeah. I'm just I'm just gonna guess that he couldn't just stroll out the door. Like, I, I, I just don't think it would happen. I guess she does. No does, she give her ad, does she give her address to him to write? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so he has the address because uh, they were going to exchange letters. And I mean, the fact that like Emma, I, I mean, whatever this sort of assisted living um, situation that he is in, like, I think that like, with routine, like he has been able to sort of like maintain his life, but or, you know, like maintain a life, but I just, I, the sort of like laxness that she is able to sneak off and like get into his room and that he's able Mm -hmm. to leave without being like, without sort of having anyone say like, do you need help getting to where you're going? Where are you going? Like, Mm -hmm. or otherwise like being accountable for his safety. um, Mm -hmm. Because I mean, like ostensibly that is why he is in an assisted living facility. Mm -hmm. Like, like that, those were the, those were the kinds of questions that I was asking. It was Mm -hmm. like, you know, because like any, if anyone can just have access to him, like how, like, you know, I, like it's for his protection. Like that's mm-hmm. what I'm, that's my concern mm-hmm. with Emma just mm-hmm. being able to sneak into his room. I mean, I used to, I was a receptionist at an assisted living facility and the only floor that was locked was the wing for the um, Alzheimer's and dementia um, residents because like literally sometimes would walk off and people would have to go track them that right so their their floor their wing was locked but all the rest were open but like people didn't just leave like they left with family but they didn't in general people who were staying there didn't just like go catch a bus or something like that's that's not what happened i mean there is there is a kind of care here which i did thinking about like this facility it's not I'm just thinking about like even teen, like the more dramatic teen shows, like even in the last five or 10 years where like institutions are still a thing and they're painted as like 1950s, like insane, quote unquote, insane asylums. And that is not this. I do think what we're Mm -hmm. talking about is there is a, like Tiffany said, there is a care for him. Mm -hmm. There isn't a suggestion that he is an inmate or that he, the violence we see with, Spike is scary, but I don't think we're to understand that he's being protected from us, which right. I did appreciate thinking about, like, you were saying, Sonnet, the moment this is coming out in, right? Because, you know, there is, I mean, besides, like, a beautiful mind, like, there's a lot of depictions of, like, the predictions we do have of mental illness in the late 90s are often these sort of violent, like, sort of nasty versions of schizophrenia, right? Whether it's that or uh, Fight Club. What's the lesbian lesbian one? What's the lesbian one? Basic Instinct? No. Girl Interrupted? Yes, thank you. So I think that this isn't a mentally, like this isn't a quote unquote institution. This isn't like, or like one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something to go earlier. So there is that. I was just going to say, in the way that Spike talks about it, you know, she says his parents put him there, Mm -hmm. which doesn't sound like he has to be there, but that that is where his parents decided to house him, Um, but not like that it would be necessarily impossible for him to be somewhere else if his parents weren't in control. Right. Like, there's not court-mandated or anything right. like that like it yeah it's it, it's about like who can take best care of him or offer him a, a quality of life you know maybe his parents aren't willing or able to attend to 
I mean, they don't want anything to do with Emma, so they're they they don't trash. they don't want anything to do with either one of them. So yeah, they're it's, they're like, right. we'll just agree yeah. that Shane's parents are just trash people, <laughs> right? I do think the end of the episode is somewhat disappointing in that it seems to sort of feel like it's tied off that desire, right? I think Emma, I forget the actress's name, but she's doing a really good job in these two episodes of dealing with all these emotions. Miriam McDonald. There you go. And then I think the episode does this thing where like they have that moment outside where they're talking about the knitting and then the van comes from his assisted living facility and there's a finality to that. And then she goes inside and gets in the picture and says to the newborn baby, she refers to Snake as her dad for the first time. And there's this sort of like, this is the family. And we've talked a lot before about Degrassi having the stills at the end of episodes. And the still at the end of the episode is the picture the midwife takes of this family of four, right? And there is a way that this does feel a little bit like it ties off and expels Shane from this life. And it's weird too, because like Degrassi isn't the first nor last show to have the moment where like a stepchild or adopted child refers to the parent as mom or dad, right? That that happens plenty, but usually it's because some sort of new relationship has been fostered, some connection has been developed. And it's not really that uh, Snake and Emma really develop a new connection in this episode. Like there's nothing about their relationship that really develops in a way that would lead me to believe that she would refer to him as her dad at the end of the episode. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's kind of two things that are working together here. And one is, as Brennan was saying, this weird sort of like um, walling off uh, or, you know, like partitioning off of the the connection to Shane. But I think also because she's what she says, she says she refers to Snake as our dad. So like mm-hmm. she's, so like there seems to be some way. I agree with you, Jacinta, but I think that like what is happening is here is that like Jack is the route to a sort of collective, like um, being the not offspring clearly, but you know, like child of, of snake. And, and so like, I think that, I mean, I think that there's a lot going on with Emma here because I, I think some of it has to do some of her initial resistance is just that she doesn't know anything about her dad. So how can she sort of like move forward into mm-hmm. acknowledging Snake as a father figure if she feels that she is being denied information or mm-hmm. a relationship with the man who like she she has some sort of like fa- like fantasy built up because like when she's looking at the yearbook the that has the picture picture of Shane in it it there I can't remember what exactly she says but she does indicate that this is something that she does on a regular basis so like it's not the first time that she has looked in the yearbook at a picture Mm -hmm. of her father and wondered who he is what he's doing now and why he isn't in her life and so Mm -hmm. I think that there's just so much that's unresolved for her and I and I and I don't know that like we're to understand at the end of the episode that like, okay, well now Snake can be the replacement, but at least there is some sort of like resolution for her in all of these questions that have been tied up around who is Shane McKay. And so it is not so much that like, okay, well now Snake can be my dad, but like I can start to like understand what our relationship is going to be moving forward because I understand more what my relationship is to this other person who I didn't know. I do think what you're saying makes sense too, Tiffany, with what we talked about in the episode where she finds out about her mom being pregnant and her mother suggests getting an abortion. Mm -hmm. And part of what we talked about there is Emma's complicated feelings about her desire for a kind of family she was never given, Mm -hmm. right? There is a desire for a full normie family or even, I mean, not, I mean, that sounds very negative, but like she wants two parents but at the same time, the second parent she's being offered is also her teacher, and he's kind of a goofball, and she had to come to terms with just them dating. And I think then the kid in that episode was this possibility, and I think you're right, that it comes to fruition, and the episode gives her another possibility. And there's, 
Yeah, I mean, what's complicated about it is there is a suggestion that they just keep saying traumatic brain injury, but there is clearly some level of some sort of developmental delay or something with her dad because she deals with him by treating him like a child multiple times in a very thoughtful way, but there's a sort of soothing that she does. I I don't know. It got complicated for me about her treatment of him, but it also made sense because he was upset. Well, and she's also mimicking what she saw at the home. Mm -hmm. Like she, that's why we had to see him first throw his plate at the home so she could see it demonstrated to her how to deescalate with him. Mm -hmm. And that's what she's doing. She's just parroting what his caregiver was doing. And ultimately it's about her mom more than anything. I think there is something very sweet and complicated about she's because she says she's my mom. And if you hurt her, I'll never ever speak to you again. And so there is a way in which she's like leveraging his desire for her to protect her mother, yeah, which is also complicated. Um, I did like that the baby, if we're going back to the root, looks like an actual, it's still a little too big, but it looks more like a newborn baby than a lot of TV newborn babies, which are usually like, six months old yeah it's got that birth canal rash on his- yeah and it can't really talk or move which is basically what babies aren't able to do usually in tv they're like this baby is adorable <laughs> and if you just gave birth to that baby we need to have a conversation can we talk about um jimmy's automatic lock it's my locker. favorite thing it's my favorite thing it now, let's, like switch, let's switch to the lockers yes. And we we've talked about a little before about how Jimmy wields his family's wealth mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, and this is just I I would actually kick him in the shins if I were a student there. <laughs> I would, yeah, I, I wrote uber ridiculous automated padlock. I mean, like it is this like hydraulics like i don't because it like locks it turns and locks itself it is (laughs) it is like conspicuous consumption like for like the most useless thing in the world right jimmy doesn't have time to do a combination (laughs) man on the go he's got band practice he's got basketball practice he's got an up-and-coming rap career he has to foster he does have time to watch it do its thing like i mean like he has time to say <laughs> look at my uh, i mean like he's he's not saying it but he's saying it you know he's like look at how this thing operates it is weird and cool i did also find it like <laughs> interesting that like when spinner is trying to like conduct all these trades to get this locker for Paige. He's like, he says to Jimmy, oh, are you still mad that I took your iPod? And I'm like, you stole his iPod. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jacinta, I have to correct you. He said, are you still mad I stole your MP3? Oh, sorry. MP3 player. (laughs) I'm like, are you you operating in reality, Spinner? (laughs) No. Short answer, no, he's not, no. So to clarify, because I didn't, so one of the things I said in the recap for people listening, right, is that they do spend the first hmm, five to ten minutes at the beginning of this episode, like, very quickly reasserting all the characters, although there's no Terry, so I'm a little annoyed. Um, But one of the things that they assert in this episode is that Jimmy and Spinner are, Jimmy's still mad at Spinner, which is weird because at the dance, at the end of season two, there's this sort of moment that we are to understand it, like I understood to mean they were over it. But now in these two episodes, Jimmy's just kind of a jackass. Mm-hmm. I wrote, Jimmy is evil, question mark, at one point in my notes. <laughs> um, I wrote in I wrote in my notes what's going on with Spimmy <laughs> yeah it's very weird and there is I mean the thing with his wealth that we've talked about before is it's sort of a, it's connected with his like family abandonment complex mm-hmm. and that seems to reassert itself at the end of the episode mm-hmm. when um, we have Spinner is reconciling with Paige and Paige's insult to Jimmy is she says, poor, lonely, jealous James, which is like the best thing ever. Uh, 
But it does, he does seem lonely in these episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think they're definitely frenemies at this point. I think that they, I mean, we'll see it, things unfold, but I think they've gone from it being a feud to thawing a little bit to now they're also competing again, but with a little more of a bite to it, a little more spice mm -hmm. to it this time. I also, like, as we're talking about, like, the other characters who weren't part of the main plot um, sort of being reasserted here. Because I do think some of this stuff, even though they're not featured, some of the stuff that we see in these first, like, 10 minutes or so are, some of that's important. Like, we see that Ellie and Marco are still together, but Marco is, like, suspiciously not Ooh. incognito very much. <laughs> like, like, they're, they're, like... Marco is barely in the closet. <laughs> Marco, Marco is in the closet, but he's pulling his extension mirror out to fix his swoopy right. thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, the closet door is like wide open and he's like trying on clothes in front of everyone. <laughs> right. So we have that. We have um sean and emma are still together but sean has apparently seen eight mile so he's doing his best eminem impersonation right now and well, that's important that's important for this season and so also, and also in the in the opening credit sequence the thing that like it, it, he's doing and in his interest he's shaking a paint can uh, until like radish like you know basically is right mm -hmm. behind him so like in the in, like in the background like because I, I was like, what's going on here? Because someone else is spray painting on the wall. Uh -huh. he, and so like, but yes, he is also doing his best eight mile impersonation. Oh and God. then, and then we also have Chris. And yes! The, you know, Chris, Chris, um, my, my main tip for Chris is just to pay attention to his assortment of hats. Oh, Chris okay. has never no, met a hat he didn't enjoy. Does he become part of the cast? Because I was wondering, because like he shows up a couple of times in the first few episodes and like. Without giving too much away, I'll say that these weren't the only times that we'll see him. Okay. Chris is, Chris is a hottie. Chris is gonna, you know. <laughs> Chris, Chris, play, Chris plays LPs, okay? Yeah, well, uh... yeah, I, I know. But he, he also does have CDs in his locker, but he, yeah, like the LPs in the locker is like wild to me. Is he like running the radio? Like, um, excuse me, for our younger listeners, this was pre-Serrano, so Chris knows how to mix a track. <laughs> But where is he doing it in school? Well, well, uh, Spinner was going to give him a locker closer to the MI lab. So, <laughs> okay. I, I, don't I don't know what they do in media immersion, but it seems like a lot. Okay. Uh, That's all they I'm got, saying. They got, Dex, they got Dex in the MI lab and Chris is doing some live DJing. On Chris the on the ones and twos, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, also in this opener, I also like Craig is do is Craig is craiging real hard in this first like like scene, which is he's doing the same thing he was doing at the beginning of season two, which is taking pictures of like random people, but like the first because he's like we see a shot of him with his camera, and then it cuts to like these three girls, and he's just taking pictures of them. Cut back to him, and then cut to him taking a picture of like Paige and Spinner, but like the the first shot of them is like just their torsos and they're like, I don't know, like Paige is kind of like <laughs> caressing like Spinner's chest. And then and then we see that who it is, but like we don't know who it is at first. And then he makes fun of them. <laughs> yeah, and then he makes fun of them. But like, I don't know, like I always kind of just have problems with the way that Craig takes pictures of people like candidly it's just it, like there's something i've always found a tiny bit creepy about it so so in this particular episode i wrote in my notes is craig the new veronica mars <laughs> I mean, veronica had a fucking job and she was just taking pictures to help her dad bring in money and catch some bad guys <laughs> maybe craigers is doing that on this as a side hustle um, I wrote that, and then I also wrote, whoa, Craig had a glow up. On that note, should we um, talk about our favorite things and things of this? Oh, one last creepy thing before this. 
Not a favorite thing. So there's a moment when Spinner is talking to Hazel and trying to get oh, Hazel yeah. to uh, trade lockers. Uh, when he like is behind her. Cause so with all these conversations about lockers, we get all these inside locker shots to see the different lockers with the exception of the locker that he finally gets paid, which you see from the outside because it's awful, etc. But like we see Chris's locker from the inside. We see a bunch of different lockers from the inside. We're inside Hazel's locker and outside the locker, we see Hazel and Spinner is talking to her and running this whole line about trying to help. So earlier there's a scene where he like puts his hand on a wall and sort of is in front of her and sort of like could put his other hand and trap her when he tries to convince her the first time. The second time he comes to her and he's trying to get her to trade her locker to someone else, to someone else, to someone else. And he's standing behind her. And then he also reaches around her and it was very creepy. And it's, so early, early in the episode, the only thing we really need to know about JT in this episode is he's still gross. And it almost seemed like a parody of JT. Like it wasn't, I thought, particularly interesting. Right. Because he says, like, basically, Toby asks, which of the lovely ladies are you going to go after this year? And JT says, oh, I could go after Miss Hot Flacos. But I'm, instead, I think I might turn my attention or something like that to, quote unquote, tangy Miss Miss Kwan. Oh yeah. And, and uh, I it was just like Tangy? What is yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. What are we doing here, JT? I don't I mean it was gross, but it wasn't I just the thing that Spinner does in this oh, episode yeah, with sure. Hazel. But you're right. I I don't know. So we can go to our favorite things. I just had to get that. I was out just there. gonna I was just gonna say Spinner also has a, a moment with Miss Kwan or she yeah. has to uh, where she both like corrects him and then outs him for failing English, yeah. and I was like, "Damn, Miss Kwan." <laughs> he says, "Oh, the pain of my existence with a P," and she says, "I think you mean the bane of your existence." And I'll explain it to you when you come back to my English class. Yep. Sets up his inferiority complex. All right, favorite things? I have a lot, but I'm just gonna choose. I'm just gonna choose two. Um, sorry. The first one is when Emma's looking at the yearbook and Craig and Ashley are looking on, and Ashley makes a joke about how she could pull off Spike's hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote in my notes, Ashley, you're gonna try this, aren't you, girl? It's gonna be bad. <laughs> So there was that. And then my second one was Spike's t-shirt in most of the episode that said, yummy mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that this t-shirt inspired the 2017 to 2019 run of the Australian reality television show, Yummy Mummies. <laughs> wow. Folks can find on Netflix if you want to watch Melbourne housewives that are pregnant all at the same time. No. Um, so those, no. and then Emma's whole like feminist rant, I just found hilariously cringy. So that's, that's it. Um, I will claim the moment when during a meeting of the insect club, Joey comes to tell Snake that Spike's gone into labor and Snake immediately hugs Liberty, who is <laughs> confused, who is just confused about why this is happening to her. And then off. As we all would be. <laughs> Mine was gonna be the locker, the the lock. It was literally this is this is my favorite thing of the two episodes. Uh, but I will also say I'm uh, I like JT's hair this season. He's let it grow out. It's like oh. I know, I know, but it's <laughs> Tiffany I, for our for our listeners. I'm making a gag face because I wrote in my notes. I can smell JT's hair from here. Oh, it's not. Whatever. It's very 2003, 2004. It's like when we came back to Harry Potter for the Goblet of Fire and all the boys had grown <laughs> out their hair and all the guys in my high school like grew out their hair. It's very much like in that moment. Yeah, yeah. it just is like very, it like, because it's not only the hair, it's also like the puka shell, well, like the, like the shell necklace. Right. 
Mm -hmm. uh, with the t-shirt with the open button-up shirt over it. Mm -hmm. It's just like Mm -hmm. a whole like lesbian aesthetic that he's got going on that I just that really that will not die. It just isn't yeah, especially in Portland, Maine, like where the 90s is still alive <laughs> and thriving. And everyone who lives here is just rocking a soft butch look. Like I mean, are they Perfect. straight or are they from Maine? Who knows? Or are they gay? Are they gay or from or, or from men? Who knows? That yeah. sounds like your new reality show, Tiffany. <laughs> There's a whole bingo yeah. set up, like bingo set up around it. Like, mm. yep. You should call it Yummy Mummies. <laughs> <laughs> My two favorite things are the Canada People Finder, which is just the website that Emma goes to. That like, yeah, I don't, I. That it finds him when she puts in doctor, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, there's that. I guess I have three. There's Snake throwing a quarter to Emma to tell her to call her mom, which I was like, what is he throwing at her? I was like, this is abusive. And I was like, oh, it's a quarter. Oh, I was like, oh, pay phones. <laughs> um, and then you my. Remember pay phones. Pay yeah, phones I guess happen. those are. Oh, I guess my third thing is these flashback sequences of baby Emma, which are in black and white. Wait, I have one more favorite thing um, that I put in my notes, which is in Hazel's locker, she has a poster of 50 Cent. <laughs> wow. Talk about talk about timely. I wrote Fofty poster. So. <laughs> wow. Well, so hanging out with us next time, uh, we'll be talking only about episode 303 next time because we're in between two two parters uh and instead of trying to fit three episodes in we just want to we just want to revel in you got the look all by its own so we will be talking about that next time okay we lost brendan so bye there's no bye. Facebook this not when one of your bye. people drops that's fine <laughs> okay, we're good bye Thanks for joining us again. Please be sure to find and follow us on your social media. We're on Twitter at That Bleeping Pod and Facebook and Instagram at That Bleeping Podcast. And please share us with family, friends, acquaintances, that ex that keeps sliding into your DMs again, or anyone else you think would enjoy hearing professors talk about teen television and films. Please like and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. If you really like us, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would really help us out. Shout out to our friend Chris Robley, who has allowed us to use his song Anonymous for our podcast theme song. You can find Chris at chrisrobley.com. That's spelled R-O-B-L-E-Y. Or on Twitter and Instagram at chrisrobley. Our episodes are jointly recorded, edited, and produced by Tiffany Salter, Jacinta Yanders, Brendan Shaw, and me, Sonic Gabbard. I edited today's episode, and I'm so excited for y'all to listen to it. Thanks, and have a great day.